0: night, we are skipping uh, back to Matthew 13, looking at verses 24 through 30 and 36 through 43, known as the parable of the tares and the wheat. Again, if you will listen as I read verses 24 through 43. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, You may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants, and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the terrors are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear you would bow with me, let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Again, O Lord, we thank you for this day you've given to us, and we thank you for the privilege of worship. We thank you for your word and pray, O Lord, that your blessing now be upon it. And as we have just sung a few moments back, we ask that your spirit would come, and that your quickening powers, O Lord, would be given to us, that you would open our eyes and give us understanding, grant us encouragement and strengthen us in our faith, that we would not be weary in the days in which we find ourselves. We ask, O oh Lord, that um, as your love remains constant for us, we pray that our love would once again be brought into a flame and that you would cause these um, cold and, and, and um, fainting hearts to take uh, fresh courage, we pray. Bless now your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Open borders. Open borders is what we hear about in the news. Countless immigrants are moving in, and I'm hearing just wonderful things, like they're supposed to choose which city they want to go to, and then once they get to that city, they're supposed to turn themselves in and set up a court date, and that court date will be anywhere up to 10 years in, in the making. And then we hear of drag shows people fighting to promote drag shows among children, and the transgenderism, uh, and all of this is rather uh, rampant now. It seems it's not just a a fringe thing. It's moved into the mainstream. The weaponization of government agencies, uh, the banking matter with the digitalization of our currencies, corruption at the highest levels of our government, and the problem... christians (laughs) a white supremacy it makes you think of psalm 73 which i have preached on uh, a handful of times i think in the years i've been here in lander every time i become discouraged with what's taking place i go to a psalm like psalm 73 this passage of scripture that we've just read about the wheat and the tares points us in a very similar direction If you recall in Psalm 73, the psalmist is greatly bothered by the inequity that he sees all around him. How come, he asks the question, how come the wicked prosper? Why doesn't God just bring this to an end immediately? How come they prosper? How come it doesn't appear that there are any pains in their death? How come they are fat and well off? How come it seems as though they don't struggle like others? They wear their pride like a necklace. Violence is their clothing. Their eyes bulge from fatness. Their imaginations run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. On and on, the psalmist writes in Psalm 73. He concludes or says in verses 11 and 12, they say, how does God know? And is their knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. It's enough to make a person discouraged and we are so bothered by the evil the greed and the shame and the perpetration of these things in our nation in our nation's capital and across the media that we often think to ourselves will there ever be justice in this world and how do we get away from this kind of thing we are bothered and rightfully so by the hypocrisy and the wickedness and we ask ourselves what's the point point?" and we are tempted to despair and often we do despair. This is a fact of life in the world in which we live. I think you would agree that we have had it awfully good in our country for a very long time because we haven't dealt with these things. Unlike our brothers and sisters in other countries who have suffered for years, the reality is is that this is the world in which we live And what we see is the coexistence of the unregenerate man and woman alongside of the regenerate man and woman. And it leads us to consider, first of all, that in this world in which these things exist, we must patiently wait upon the Lord. Because in the end, the Lord will set everything straight. And here's the point of this parable that Jesus has given. You consider the context here. In verses 1 and 2 of 13, we were told this. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Here, these large crowds had come to hear Jesus, so much so that he had to climb into a boat, and he sees the people sitting on the beach. He speaks in parables, a parable. Remember, is an earthly story. Uh, it's a it's a story, a, a, a scene, an experience, a phenomena that people would understand. That Jesus relates to a spiritual meaning, and it's meant to explain. It's meant um, uh, it, it's it's meant to help people understand a spiritual point. However, it's also intended at times to keep people from understanding. chapter 13 here in verse 13 we're told therefore I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear nor do they understand they would not hear and they could not hear because they were under now the judgment of God the first parable Jesus records or that Matthew records for us of the Lord's speaking was that of the parable of the sower the point as we've seen in the past addresses uh, the masses of people who are interested, and causes them the question what kind of soil they were. Remember that the sower scatters the seed indiscriminately. Some of the seed would land on hard soil, some would land on rocky soil, and some would land on the soil with weeds, and some would land on good soil. The sower and the seed are the same. The difference is the kind of soil that the seed fell into. And and, and it's Intended to have us question what kind of soil we are. Do we hear the Lord's word? Do we hear Him calling? Uh, will you heed His voice or will you ignore Him? And, and again, it's spoken to this mass of people so that they would question, you know, we're, we're interested in Jesus, but how interested are we? Will we follow Him uh, to the end? The second parable here, the terrors and the wheat. We are told that Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to, or the kingdom of heaven may be likened to or understood by this picture that he's giving. He would speak to us about his kingdom so that you and I would learn and understand some vital aspect of it that is of the kingdom of heaven. This is something good for us to know. uh, And we might say it is something for us to consider very deeply, especially when we consider this. Again, the problem we find ourselves with, or in, is that we are living in a world where there is much, much evil abounding. Um, and in and, and some weeks, we see it rise to the surface more than at other times. We notice here that this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is not compared to a man not to a seed, not to sprouts, but it's, it's this phenomena. Again, but to, and, and again, listen to this in verse 24. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while this, his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. It's not just to a thing, like the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or to leaven. It's this phenomena. It's this picture. It's this farm now It's the whole experience that, that the Lord is speaking about here. It is comparable or likened to the whole scenario that Jesus paints for us here. He's, we start by first defining the kingdom of heaven, and it is synonymous with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is a bit difficult to get our brains wrapped around. Louis Burkhoff uh, explained it like this in his systematic theology. He said, Insofar as the invisible church is instrumental in the establishment and extension of the kingdom, it is, of course, subordinate to this as a means to an end. The kingdom may be said to be a broader concept than the church because it, it aims at nothing less than the complete control of all the manifestations of life. It represents the dominion of God in every sphere of human endeavor. In other words, the Lord here sits as king. He reigns now, and he controls all things. And to him, all men everywhere ought to bow the knee in adoration and allegiance. He has dominion, and he rules over all. And yet, what we don't see is all people bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. We find great corruption, great rebellion against Jesus Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, His beloved, whom he has purchased with his own blood. We are part of the kingdom, but the kingdom, according to Louis Burkhoff, is broader yet. The kingdom is the dominion of our king. The church is the army, we say, the church militant, which he uses to advance his dominion visibly over all things. This is important to understand, as I hope to show you shortly. So he's speaking of the kingdom of God, and then he gives these parts. First, giving the parable, and then in the privacy with his disciples, he explains what the elements are in the parable. The sower, or the man, is the son of man. It is Jesus Christ. The field, he says, is the world. And notice that it's not limited to the church, but we ought not to think that it excludes the church entirely The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. These are the regenerate, the Christian, those who have been born again, those who are the elect of God. The tares are the sons of the evil one. The enemy is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the judgment. And the reapers are the Lord's angels. When we come to verse 40, we see the point of the parable and we read this. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, So shall it be at the end of the age. So Jesus has given us this parable. And the point of this parable is meant to encourage us. It's meant to encourage us as we watch the news, as we remember these things, um, like Asaph who stood and pondered all these things taking place in Israel. And when he walked into the temple, he went, Oh yeah, now I remember. Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. And for clarification, we read verses 41 through 43 again, which read, The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Um, the righteous will shine. They will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Again, he who has ears, let him hear. So here's the picture. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It is like a man who went out and he plants. He throws good seed in his field. And while his men are sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among wheat and went away. Time passes. Time is elapsing now. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. This is how the only way you can tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. You wouldn't know it initially. The wheat and tares look so similar to this, uh, at this point that you can't tell them apart. They just look like, that all looks like wheat. Uh, Until they sprout, you can't do a thing. But by then, by the time they sprout, it is too late and you will ruin the wheat crop and you will keep it from maturing if you were to pull it out. So you have to wait a long time before the wheat is ready. So it's really a conundrum that the farmer is facing. The slaves, they see and they question, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have tares? And the answer is the enemy the enemy has done this. He came and did this just to ruin, out of sheer spite, the tear or the darnels, uh, as they're called. Uh, the darnell is a host to a fungus, which, if eaten by animals or man, is poisonous, and it makes them sick and can even bring about death. And their question was, after we see the wheat and the tares all beginning to sprout, they go, oh, no. Got poisonous weeds in in amongst the wheat. Should we pull them out? And he says, No, you can't because if you do that, you will damage the wheat. You you can't you can't. It's too late. We have to let these things come to fruition, um, and then and then we harvest it. Shall we go and gather them up? And the answer was no. For while we are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. In the point of the parable, the sons of the evil one are mixed in with the sons of the kingdom. Transgenderism, corruption, terrible things taking place, our borders being opened up. By the way, we're not against immigration. What we are for legal immigration and not illegal immigration, we see much evil taking place, and here Jesus so wisely Jesus so wisely says that the the sons of the evil one are mixed in with the sons of the kingdom, good and evil, righteous and unrighteous, regenerate and unregenerate, live side by side in this world in the world of our of our of our Saviour. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 24, One, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. It is his field, and yet Satan has brought his destructive influence into this world. Therefore, we have psalms like Psalm 73. If the first parable is to cause us to examine what kind of soil we are urging us to hear and do the word, the second parable, it might be said, is to instruct the Lord's people that their fruit-bearing will be in the midst of opposition from the world. Our fruit-bearing will be uh, in the midst of opposition from the world. Does that encourage you? Maybe maybe it comforts you from the standpoint of nothing unusual, nothing unexpected, nothing unforetold has come about. Um, maybe it challenges our American um. American expectations that it should be the way it was back in 1934 um, but it's not the Lord said that this is what was the way it was going to be we are going to be bearing fruit in the midst of opposition from the world and so we mustn't expect our Christian lives to be without trial in this world the problem is my friends the struggle that we have is that we are called of God to be his people in the midst of of a crooked and perverse generation. This is the world in which we live. The world is not a friend of God. We have mentioned this so many times, um, and yet it doesn't seem to sink in, uh, at least through my thick skull. The world is not a friend of God, and this world... We are called and we are striving to obey the Lord, to advance his reign and his glory in all avenues of life, even as we spoke this morning, that whatever we do, we are to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, um, giving thanks through him to God the Father, that this is what we are called to do by dying to ourselves and laying aside the flesh and its sinful desires. And yet we run into the world creating opposition, a world that encourages us to fulfill and fill our passions. We are striving to honor uh, the Lord in our marriages, but our culture would seek to undermine these things. We strive to walk in purity and in holiness, and yet we see the world promoting something altogether different. We strive to raise our children to know the Lord while the world seeks to grab hold of our children and make them conform them rather to the image of this world. We strive to walk with honesty and integrity. And when we do, we are encountering belittling attitudes and corruption. Those who call upon Christ increasingly are viewed as narrow-minded and outdated and bigots and white supremacists. This is the world. Jesus said that the enemy has come and he has scattered terrors into into the field. We see it in the world And and yes, we also experience it to some degree in the church, as the church is no stranger to the world. But I know in the church that there is no other uh, group of people who will actually and actually have a means for dealing with sin. Remember that Jesus himself was opposed by the Jews, by the Jewish leadership, by Judas, one of his 12. He was opposed by the demons. Remember, David had Saul, who he would contend with, he had his own brothers who would accuse him of being just a busybody and his own children who would rise up against him. Righteous Lot was tormented in his soul by evil and immoral Sodom and Gomorrah. And Daniel Daniel was opposed by high-ranking officials and bad policies. And Mordecai contended with Haman. And the early church dealt with the Roman Caesars. And Jude would speak of hidden reefs at our love feasts. That these things would go on in the church. All of these are indications. All of these are the kinds of things that Jesus said. The enemy sows these things into the field. And it's in the midst of all these things. It's in the midst of these things that we find ourselves. It is a fact, friends, that you cannot, this side of glory, get away from the effects of sin and opposition from the world or problems in the church. So... What do we do about it? You can do one of two things, but only one is really right. You can leave, try to leave, try to isolate yourself, or you can patiently wait upon the Lord. And when I say patiently wait upon the Lord, we should think of waiting as serving. I heard this pastor say this once, and I know this stuck with me. He said you shouldn't see the wait as being a passive thing where you just sit back and... Um, and, and wait for some deliverance. He said, you ought to think of waiting as the waiter in a restaurant who is serving. I thought that was a, a very clever thing to point out. Um, we can either isolate ourselves from the world or we can patiently wait upon the Lord. Um, there are those who, because of the evil we see in the world, would like to move some to some backwoods location, get your guns and ammo and brace yourself, Jesus, interestingly, prayed in John 17 not that he would take uh, his people out of the world, but that the Lord would keep them from the evil one. Some would leave Christ, some would leave the faith, some would leave the church and get away from those hypocrites who aren't obedient to the Lord, who mess up, and who are less than perfect. But um, this doesn't, um, this makes us just the same because we are actually sinning. In our sin and our disgust with sin, we see these kinds of things take place. James wrote, for whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. And so we deal with this sin. Uh, but you can't run from the world, and we're not supposed to run from the world. I have that temptation. I want to run. And yet we're not called to run. Uh, we are called to patiently wait for the Lord. And that's the other option. We can either try to isolate ourselves from the world and from, from people who are problematic or, or we wait patiently for the Lord. And this is where I would encourage us, friends, that in the midst of, of hardships that arise in the, in the church and when hardships arise and when persecution arises, I know it's just easier just stay home and, and turn on the television and lock your doors. That is not the right thing to do. <laughs> Turn off the television exactly <laughs> um, look and see what the Lord says here. What does he say to his slaves? Go and gather up the tares. The answer was no, they are they are not to wait until the harvest time, or rather they are to wait until the harvest time. Wait until the sons of the kingdom have come to maturity, and the fullness of fruit has come. You can leave, or you can patiently wait upon the Lord. This patience that we have, and I'm calling you to have, that the Lord calls us to have, is a hopeful patience, a hopeful waiting. Not a wondering if God will rectify matters, but knowing that he will rectify matters. He will bring everything to light. He will judge the words and deeds. Again, when Asaph went into the temple in Psalm 73, he saw the glory of God. And he saw then at that point um, that the wicked did have an end. So why be patient? Why? Because, friends, there's great reward for those who endure to the end. There is great reward. You won't be sorry or disappointed. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. A great book, Hebrews is. The psalmist, or the, the writer says, But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul." you see what happens there what the writer is speaking about here they had tasted of the things of the lord they have a greater possession i saw something so wonderful a picture of job and satan had decided he was going to try to take away everything that was important to job and you know what was important to job his god the very thing that satan couldn't take away and so he endured and you see this is the church these are the this is the wheat These are the sons of the kingdom who the Lord implants life into us and we grow and we produce and we find that there is nothing, nothing in this world that is sweeter or better than to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus for the glory of God. And we continue in this path so that when persecutions and trials and things are taken away from us, we endure. And what is the result of enduring? We receive the reward of our inheritance in Jesus Christ. This is the fruit of patiently waiting upon the Lord. Faith has a reward. Or the lack of faith also has its consequence. This is our hope. There's one of two outcomes. um, And this is meant, my friends, to give us encouragement. And I I pray it does as you turn on the news this week. The day is coming upon us. And the scriptures speak quite matter-of-factly about it. uh, That the day of the lord is coming and there is a day coming when the lord will judge the earth again verse 40 he says so just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire so shall it be at the end of the age this is the lord's promise this is what he will do with the wicked the tares at this point are easily recognizable they will be gathered up at the end of the age that is the day of judgment and they will be burned with fire. Again, verses 41 and 42 state, The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said in Matthew 24:31, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. We see there is a great s- sifting, if you will. The wheat are gathered up and brought into the barn. The tares are gathered up and they're cast into the fire to be judged. At the Lord's coming, which is soon, I believe, He will judge the sons of the evil one who have rejected him in his salvation. They will be cast into hell and will experience never-ending torment. All stumbling blocks, all hindrances to obedience, all ungodliness will be removed. This is why you must persevere patiently in the face of opposition. Only those who do enter into glory. To this end, the Lord, after saying what he does about the wicked and their just punishment, says of the Christian, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen to what Daniel would write in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred, since there was a nation until that time, And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is from Daniel's prophecy hundreds of years earlier. Than the Lord's parable and yet all attesting to the same thing that the wicked will be destroyed at the end and the righteous will be brought into the glory of their master. My friends, the point of this parable, a very simple point, and it is to encourage us who are faint-hearted because of the opposition that we experience, faint-hearted because of the opposition we see in this world and the trials we face. It is meant to encourage us that one day the Lord will set all of the wickedness straight and he will bring his faithful servants uh, safely home to be with him. If you will bow with me, let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for this evening, and I thank you for the simple encouragement of this passage of Scripture. That, O oh Lord, you know, do know what you are doing, and you have stated it again and again. O Father, throughout the Psalms and throughout the stories of Scripture that are recorded for our encouragement, that those who reject you will be rejected by you, and those who look to you in faith will sweetly be brought into your heavenly home. We ask, Father, that your grace be upon us, your people, those who are here and those who are not able to be here, those who may hear, and those who will see the news and who will begin to feel quite shaken in their souls by what is taking place, who are afraid, Lord, of what's going to occur. Oh, Father, we pray that we will not worry, but that, Father, like the saints of old, we would endure hardship uh, with joy. I pray, Father, that we would have our eyes fixed upon you. We pray, Lord, that we would not lose sight of you as the waters uh, are in turmoil around us, But we pray, Father, that you will hold us close to yourself and that we will endure to the end. We thank you now and thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus, the hope of heaven. And We pray, Lord, like all those saints who have gone before us and who have now seen you face to face, we pray, Lord, that we will walk in their stead, that we will walk and imitate their faith, that we too will one day soon stand in your presence unashamed. And you ask these things humbly now in Jesus' name. Amen.